Hey sister, you are listening to the Daily Momter Podcast and I am your host, Jesse Trulove. You can connect with me on social media at Move with Trulove and move with me in my MomCore Method app. This episode is all about navigating prolapse with Dr. Sarah Duvall, one of my longtime mentors from afar. I was so excited about this episode because I have been consuming Sarah's content and devouring every continuing education course she puts out on the market to grow my skills as a coach for my own clients. Sarah is a wife, a mom, and an adventure sports athlete. Sarah is a women's health and fitness specialist and founder of Core Exercise Solutions, which is a center for continuing education for personal trainers like myself and other DBTs that have an interest in pelvic health field. She has been a trainer and physical therapist for many, many years, and we even talk about her personal experience with prolapse. We go there in this episode because nothing here is TMI. Let's welcome Sarah to the podcast. Welcome back to the Daily Momster Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Trulove, and today I am joined by Sarah Duvall, the coach to coaches. We are going to be talking about prolapse and when you should be going to see an in-person PT and so much more. Sarah, thank you so much for meeting with me today. I've been following your work and taking all your courses um, since I started in this field, and I'm really excited to talk to you today. So, can we just kick it off with uh, you introducing yourself and basically giving us an intro into how you kind of move from having your own practice, being a being a personal trainer and kind of moving into the field of coaching coaches? Uh, thanks for having me, Jesse. I'm excited to be here. Uh, well, let's see. I started out as a personal trainer back in 1999. I love physical fitness. I was a division two college athlete. I've just always enjoyed working out and working with people working out. Then I graduated from physical therapy school in 2005, went back for my doctorate in 2008. And I always seemed to keep a, like a hand in training along with the physical therapy because I thought the exercise component was so important. And in a lot of ways, I thought it was missing from my schoolwork. PT school was incredible for diagnostics. I mean, you can diagnose up and down. But mm -hmm. then it came to how do you do the treatment? And it was like, okay, here's bridges and clams again. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is, this is not so, and schools are different. So some people go to really good exercise based schools and some people don't. And so, you know, it all depends on your PT, your PT's experience, things like that. And so I've always just tried to keep a personal training hand in physical therapy and I have been moved around the country multiple times as my husband's jobs have changed. So I've started three cash pay physical therapy practices. And what pushed me into the online space and teaching continuing education online is I've always taught in person. So I've taught continuing education in person since 2007 was when I hosted my first continuing course. I love teaching. I love seeing the aha moments, explaining that's how I treat patients as I teach them you know, here's the why, here's the how. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's incredible. But as my husband moved, I was like, you know what, I'm getting tired of starting from scratch where nobody's heard of me. So I'm right. going to step into this online space so that the next place we move, I don't have to start from scratch. And it has worked out quite well. Yeah, absolutely. I remember coming out of my first year postpartum and just not feeling like there was information out there to heal. I had been a personal trainer for years. And after my emergency C-section, I was experiencing all sorts of 
dysfunctions that I, I was like, oh my gosh, if I'm experiencing this, like, and I thought for some naive reason, like if anybody could have an unmedicated vaginal delivery, it would be me. And I was like <laughs> lifting a ton of weight and a gymnast for 15 years and like all the things. And then when it, when it wasn't coming along, um, and I took your certification course, it was like all of the dots and all of, all the dots were connected, all the stars aligned. And I was like, gosh, this information needs to be given to moms like when they leave the hospital, like what in the world? Um, so on that note, I would love for you to kind of give your thoughts around both as a, as a trainer and as a physical therapist, what are your thoughts on personal trainers? So for me, I've never gone to PT school. Like I am not, I'm not a DPT. What are your thoughts on trainers having more information from PTs and then training clients in this population. So for instance, like for me, I, I coach women through pregnancy and then postpartum when they're trying to rehab uh, after having their babies, whether vaginally or C-section. And then of course, no matter when they delivered. So what are your thoughts on kind of taking the information from PTs like up in this white tower and bringing it down to trainers? Uh, that is a great question and a little bit of a loaded question right now in our industry, but I have always believed in, I think we need a team approach. Mm -hmm. I think we need an approach at every level. And one thing that I talk about in my coursework is just because you know how to do something doesn't mean you're going to do it. It might mean you find the best person to refer out to mm -hmm. because just because I understand, uh, you know, or want to investigate more into prolapse surgery doesn't mean I'm going to go try to perform prolapse surgery. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like if you start to touch somebody, if you're doing hands-on manipulation, mobilization, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of breathing drills that I can do where I put my hands on people's rib cages and I, I get it moving. I feel like that crosses the line. Totally. But I feel like there's so much. And also I feel like PTs really do hold the hat for diagnostics because we spend you know, three to four years going to school for diagnostics. Um, so when cases get complicated, mm -hmm. I feel like that's the time to partner with a good physical therapist or occupational therapist, just a, a public health rehab professional. Um, if there's any scar tissue, you know, I mean, that can be a big thing. Like sometimes mm -hmm. people need hands on them and you right. can't, you're not, you're not working that out in the gym, you know? Yeah, Totally. But I think the same thing can be said for like, let's talk about knee pain. So if somebody's got some knee pain when they're doing squats with their trainer in the gym, I would hope to goodness that that trainer would take a look at how they're doing squats and be like, oh, wow, your knee is really caving in. Why don't we try to, you know, not have your knee cave in? Oh, did that help your squat? Did that help your knee pain? Great. That trainer didn't just do physical therapy. The only thing that trainer did was correct the exercise form on a squat. Right. And I feel like there's so much that can be done on the prevention and the exercise correction where I feel like everybody in the fitness world needs to know more about how to adjust exercises to fit the person in front of them just to write a great exercise program. Right. Now, if you correct the form and maybe you think, okay, well, you know what, your hinging is it is a little bit lacking. So let me give you some hinging exercises. We'll see if that helps your knee pain and or maybe you want to investigate, you know, a little bit of arch stuff. And, and then, you know, there's still some knee pain and you're thinking, okay, I'm, you know, I've tried my exercise 
front for addressing the knee pain and it's not working, that's the time I feel like it's to refer to PT. So if you have right. somebody that you're seeing and they're experiencing a little bit of leaking when they do jumping jacks, I would definitely work on multiple things first because it might just be low hanging fruit. You know, they right. might need to breathe a little better, adjust their posture. They might need to, you might find out they're clenching their pelvic floor the whole time. So just mm -hmm. a few simple questions and you can troubleshoot how they're doing the exercise. And then if that doesn't work, then it's time to refer out. Right. I think, uh, you know, you touched on a couple of good things. Um, just me processing all that information. I think that, I think women, after they come out of, you know, their delivery, um, they don't really know where to start because they're, they're not given really any information when you go home with your baby on how to heal your body besides Kegels. So I think that, you know, Kegels have become a really hot topic and, um, you know, and we kind of, we know that trend has kind of come and go that Kegels can either make things worse or, um, you know, they're not for everybody. And I think that information and information like that, you know, like if you're leaking, let's talk about a couple of things and the questions, you know, like you said, just asking a couple of questions can just uncover so many things. And it's not just, and what I really learned in your course is that, and what I think is lacking uh, across the board really is looking outside of the pelvic floor. When you're thinking about rehabbing the pelvic floor, we've got to look at the entire kinetic chain. And I think arming your personal trainers who are trying to help you build strength uh, after you deliver your baby or lose a certain amount of weight or whatever your goals are, if you've got this one thing that's kind of like really bothering you, like you're leaking when you're trying to go to the gym and do your CrossFit, I think if trainers are armed with more information about how the, how the diaphragm moves and affects the pelvic floor, what your feet are doing, like I think all the information that you're giving to personal trainers I think if, if they're in a mindset of helping women, they're going to know exactly when to refer out. I think it's a really important mindset to have. Like I want to do as much as I can here. And then when you feel like, okay, we're hitting a wall and maybe you need to go get some internal work or again, with the diagnostics, like referring out is going to be a tool for both you because you're going to, as a trainer, because coaches are you know, we, we want to have good reputations also. Uh, you don't want to screw anybody up. Um, and then also helping that mom get the, get the help that she needs. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that sometimes you can't tell until you physically touch somebody mm -hmm. what's going on. So you might think somebody has tension when they don't, or you might think they don't have tension when they do. Mm -hmm. And so an internal assessment is often needed to determine what's going on. But I do think that there is some blurring of lines and I see where the anger comes from. I mean, I'm one for the, I'm a you know huge proponent of the team approach. I get asked a lot about my morning routine. And to be honest, in this season, a lot of it looks different every day besides what's in my morning cup of coffee. This is the adaptogenic mocha I crave daily. And I have noticed such a difference since adding this to my daily morning routine. Harmony by Organifi has a rich chocolate flavor from a rare cacao called Criollo packed with polyphenols and the bliss molecule to support the feeling of balance, as well as maca to support energy levels and alertness. This antioxidant has been known to balance hormone levels and improve reproductive health. Chas Cherry Brie and Shatsavari to improve vitality, hormone balance, and has even been known to improve libido and decrease PMS symptoms. 
I've been pregnant or breastfeeding for the last five and a half years. And after the last two years of not having a period because I was breastfeeding my toddler, I was shocked when my cycle returned because I had zero PMS symptoms like cramps. And I believe that I owe that to Harmony. This drink has really helped me feel more like me again. And as a mama, I really appreciate that result alone simply by adding this yummy blend to my morning cup of coffee. Being in the women's health field, it feels very aligned to share my favorite adaptogenic blend made for women by women. You can use my code TRUELOVE to snag a bag of Harmony at 20% off so you can start feeling more like you again too. That's code TRUELOVE, T-R-U-E-L-O-V-E to save 20% at checkout for anything at the Organifi website. You can even stack my code TRUELOVE on top of the bundle where you can save an additional 10%. Choosing a bundle, you can pick any of your three favorite items. I love the collagen, the reds, the greens, glow, as well as my favorite, Harmony. With that said, let's get back to the show. I don't know. I just feel like a, like an anger coming out, you know, like the, like a hostile trend on social media about like the, that trainers can't help. And I feel like, I yeah, feel they like, can. yeah, I feel like and, they can, because a lot of stuff can be helped without stepping into rehab. Yeah. I, I, I helped a patient, um, this week. They didn't want exercise. Right. They, they just, I don't know. It was one of the, some of it was going to be a non-compliant person. They were just like, well, basically, you know, what can I do? Or I'm just not going to stick to it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know me. I'm like a super exercise person. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm so frustrated right now. Yeah. And so I told them to go for a 20 minute walk before bed to help their hip pain. You didn't need to be a rehab professional to give out that advice. But you right. know what? I got a message and they were like, oh, my hip felt so great. And I was just like, you know, yeah, I feel like there can be a lot of help that can be found without having to be a rehab professional. Totally. Well, I just wanted to get your take on that because it's been something that I've been noticing and I don't want that to deter people that go into personal training to be like, okay, well, I'm never going to be qualified enough to help somebody that's postpartum, which I think, you know, at a certain point, you're postpartum, postpartum isn't, you know, postpartum isn't an injury. You're right. No, but it's, so I, I, I think that that's something important to keep in mind is postpartum is, is a very normal state to be in. Right. And a very normal state to get help with exercise and um, help with the postural changes that happen during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a perfect role of a personal trainer is right. to help with that. And then when things, when it's not working or things mm-hmm. are going wrong or you have severe cases, then that would be the time to refer out. Perfect. Totally agree. Um, I really want to talk about prolapse today. Um, and I feel like you're the perfect person to kind of chat about this with, if you could first, I want to just kind of get into the mindset. So a mom coming in, who's listening to this podcast, if she is trying to figure out, maybe she hasn't been diagnosed, but she's experiencing symptoms and she's suspecting a prolapse. Can we talk about the types of prolapse and also grades and maybe uh, the differences between those? Sure. So the first thing we need to talk about, and this is where the diagnosis part can be really helpful, is uh, when you go in for your six-week checkup postpartum, your OB is not necessarily the best person to check you for prolapse. And I think that's something to keep in mind because you go see a really good public health professional. They're gonna stand. They're gonna have you in standing. They're gonna be doing. What, where do you feel your symptoms? You feel them in squatting. Okay, let's squat. Well, I'm like in there looking at what's happening inside 
to help you best to figure out what's going on. And so I think that's also important to keep in mind when we talk about assessing muscle. Like your OB is not the best person to assess muscle either. So just because we go a little further with degrees and education level doesn't necessarily mean it's the best person for the job. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like writing an exercise program, I would want that to be the personal trainer because that is what they're experts in. So, yeah. So just to just to say that, because I see a lot of patients who got a clearance with checkup, but something just still feels funny, you know, and so I hear that that, all the time. And I'm like, well, did you get that checked? And they're like, well, my OB said I was good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but don't, yeah, this is when you refer out to a public health specialist, (laughs) right? You know, so I I feel like this is where we can all really work together well, because they're going to tell you about it. And you're going to be the one that needs to help connect them with somebody that can Mm -hmm. help them. You know, so I feel like this is, this is a good place for a team approach. But uh, anyway, I, when it comes to prolapse, the problem is, is you have to distinguish between tension and real prolapse. So, so when you have pelvic floor tension, I like to think about it as an accordion. You know how when you stretch an accordion out and everything is nice and long and normal, then there's not all those folds. But if you squish the accordion together, it bunches up. And so if your pelvic floor muscles are tight, it can cause the appearance of prolapse. So it can, can you picture that? I hope everybody Uh can picture that. Um, Yeah, right. Like if you take a piece of paper and you pumple it together, it's going to like pop up and down. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to end up with visual prolapse, but you don't actually have bad prolapse. And so you just have pelvic floor tension. And so that would be one of the discerning things that I feel like a pelvic health specialist will be really good at telling you which Mm -hmm. type you have. And then sometimes when people have hypermobility issues, they have um, ligament laxity, some of that's genetic, um, fascial, how well you're fascia stretches and rebounds postpartum has a lot to do with our genetics, nutrition, things like that. Uh, Some of it's in our control. Some of it's not in our control. Um, Fascia takes a really long time to heal, which can also be really frustrating. Uh, So, and then depending on the type of birth that you have, um, forceps delivery and instrument delivery birth has a higher risk of prolapse. And then if you experience any levator ani tearing, so those primary pelvic floor muscles, if you experience any tearing, um, of more, think about the deeper muscles, not the superficial ones that are kind of right on the front where they're like, oh, you tore just a little bit, um, but more deeper muscles. That can be a big risk factor for prolapse. And that can be one of those things where it's, it's kind of not caught until later. But prolapse is, think about it as a hernia. So we all kind of can mm-hmm. picture what a hernia is. Um, it's a bulging out of the organs. And so that is what a prolapse is, is it's like a fascial stretching. So you have some laxity in that fascia and then a bulging out of the organs. And I think things like a grade one prolapse postpartum are completely normal and nothing to freak out about. And most people will just improve naturally over time as they do really great programs provided by their personal trainers. (laughs) But there are times when things go wrong and things get worse. And intra-abdominal pressure can be a huge factor in this. So constipation, bearing down during constipation uh, can be a really bad factor for making prolapse worse. Coughing, like you catch your kids cold and Mm -hmm. you're coughing for a week and then all of a sudden you feel this bulge in your vagina, that is a huge risk factor as well. So that kind of bearing down, increased pressure is a big problem for pelvic organ prolapse. And so maybe I should back up and talk a little bit about what it feels like. So 
what it feels like is something just feels kind of off. Maybe you feel a heaviness. You feel like you have a tampon in when you don't have a tampon in. Like there's just feels like there's something there. Mm -hmm. Now, that can also coexist with feeling uh, tightness as well. So tightness can, you can produce things like air, the air bubbles. If anybody's mm-hmm. had air bubbles, they know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Um, that is tension. Um, the heaviness feeling can be tension. Um, so there's, it's can definitely. Can you explain why the bubbles means tension? Are you like, also, I feel like this is a good place for like queefing also. Yes, bubbles exactly. And queefing. Yeah. So your, your pelvic floor is just having trouble regulating whether or not it wants to open or close. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so like air is getting inside and then trapped because mm-hmm. you're holding tension or clenching. And so when your pelvic floor has more natural movement, has more link to the muscles, I tend to see people get less air bubbles, less um, queefing, things like that, because their abdominal wall and their pelvic floor are able to work together better to handle pressure. So is queefing normal? Or is queefing a sign that we need to kind of ask more questions? I would say that's a tough question. Queefing is not a sign that something is wrong. I'll I'll start with that. But I would use it as maybe we should ask some more questions. Okay. But it doesn't necessarily mean that things are going wrong. If that differentiation is is helpful. Because sometimes we can have some tightness. And right. it, it's fine. It just means we had a long road trip and things right. haven't worked themselves out yet. So mm-hmm. I don't want to sound alarm bells, but if it's something that is bothering you and you've had it for a long time, mm-hmm. then I might take some steps to look into it. Okay. That helps because I, I've i seen another another trend. Queefing is totally normal. This is something that your vagina just do, does. Like, don't be embarrassed. Don't do anything about it. And I just think that it's not something that is normal to happen all the time. And that's kind of what you just said. Like if you're experiencing, it's like been happening for an extended period of time and maybe it's something to kind of tune into. But if you have been extra stressed or a long road trip and you're you're tighter, mm-hmm. then, you know, it could just go away as you decompress. And, and, and another thing and- to keep in mind is is sometimes we, we all have different anatomical setups. Mm -hmm. We're all slightly different with the way our pelvises are and our muscle alignment and things like that. So for some people, queefing might be normal. But the problem is, is that when we label everything (laughs) as normal, (laughs) I feel like that's when it becomes a problem. Because for some people, it's going to signify that they're having trouble with regulating abdominal wall pressure. Mm -hmm. They might be cinching. They might be clenching their pelvic floor. They may have tension. So for some people, it is going to signal that there's some you know, strat- muscle strategies that could be improved. Um, but for other people, it might be normal. And I think without investigation, you, you're not going to know which is which. Right. Um, and then back to the prolapse grades. So a grade one, would that feel like anything? Um, so yes and no. It depends on how sensitive you are. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I feel like there are the people that don't even know when they have a grade two. And then there are people that know when they have like a grade half. It's like, right. you know, so <laughs> that is going to depend on sensitivity. Okay. And then grade two um, would be able to see any type of bulging or was that? Yes. So a grade, grade three? two, a grade two, if you took a mirror, you will be able to see the bulge. And what would that look like? Right at the entrance of your vagina. It would okay. just be this kind of extra flap of, not, I don't want to say flap of skin, but like extra 
Um, tissue. Yeah, extra tissue, but it's more of like a bulgy tissue. Okay. If that makes sense. Grade three is out of the vaginal opening? Yes. And then grade four is usually when we're thinking like grade three and grade four are usually when you're thinking surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, Grade three, I have known somebody who has dramatically improved a grade three prolapse. So I'm not going to say always for surgery Mm -hmm. there, but when you're looking at going and moving into things like grade four, you're looking at, there's some genetic issues going on. There's maybe a hypermobility, something or other, like it's usually not going to be your, you know, there, there's usually some <laughs> other, I don't want to say normal, but cause none of us are normal, but right. there's usually some other underlying factors that are playing into it. So I just don't want everybody to be like, Oh, my organs are going to fall out. And I'm going to, you know, because I feel this grade one prolapse, I'm going to have mm-hmm. a grade four by next week, you know, so that's, right. you know, <laughs> you know, it's how, just you know so terrifying if you think about it, you know, and then you're like, create more fear and then tension. And then maybe the prolapse does get worse because you're, you're squeezing your accordion. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You gave yourself a grade. You had a grade one from a little bit of ligament laxity and fascial stretching, and you gave yourself a grade too because you increased your pelvic floor tension but just just I think what would be more normal for most of the women that are listening to this would be just a grade one and a grade two and think about a grade one as a little bit of lowering and a grade two is right at the entrance and that's you know anything other than that and you really do need to refer out okay and you think that with exercise a lot of that can be improved with grade one and grade two um so yes and no so when I when I say, so yes, I have a lot of hope around prolapse. Um, but I feel like there's different levels of healing. And a lot of that depends on some factors that are and aren't in your control. So I see a range of healing. One start would be completely healed. Prolapse goes away. And I've seen grade two to completely healed. It happens. Um, but you get everything in between. And I feel like you can have small improvements. So you can maybe go from a grade two to a grade one, or maybe you stay a grade two or stay a grade one forever, but because you don't have really good fascial remodeling and maybe that's in genetics, um, but you're able to run, jump, lift, do whatever you want without making it worse because you have great strategies in place. And I feel like anywhere along that healing spectrum gives you freedom. You just touched on like all the questions I was going to ask you. I want to know like, what does a healed prolapse like mean to you? I mean, and I've seen this in, in my own clients that are, you know, going to PT and also utilizing my mom core method, which is exercise based. Um, and also, oops. Um, and they see kind of you know, we're hoping that the, that the healing always is going up, but it's like what some days they'll feel like, wow, I, I didn't feel my prolapse at all. And then they'll have a day or two where like, oh, I feel a little bit more heavier and then they'll not feel it anymore. And then they kind of feel it again. Um, so what do you feel like the journey for healing a prolapse? Is it, you're kind of in it for the long haul. It's got to be like this thing that you're continuing I mean, to pour into. Maybe if your prolapse is caused more by tension and you figure out what's causing your tension and how to get rid of it, then magically your prolapse is amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love those patients because then I'm a miracle worker, you know, and yeah. I said, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you've got the ones that have more of the fascial stretching mm-hmm. um, and that's going to be more of your long haul. Cause you're going to have to 
wait for that fascia to remodel. You're going to have to support the tissue with lots of muscle strengthening. You're going to have to support the tissue by not bearing down, um, Mm -hmm. not putting a lot of pressure down on it, making it bulge out more. And so it's going to be a definitely a big process. Uh, And so it just depends on what's causing your prolapse and then um, the strategies that you use, but everybody has setbacks everybody. And whether that's you have a tight pelvic floor day or you just overdid, but the important thing is, or you got a cold, (laughs) but the important thing is, is that you learn from it Mm -hmm. and then you're able to layer that in to help you continue to move forward in the future. And then you also touched on being able to have a prolapse grade one and two and being able to run and being able to do all these things that you love. So do you feel like people that are uh, kind of navigating a prolapse, are there movement restrictions? like on them? Or do you feel like, again, just completely individual and there's still so much you can do? Yeah. So I feel like it's completely individual and I feel like there's no bad exercise. And Mm -hmm. I feel like you can do whatever exercise you want to be able to do as long as you're willing to put the work in to be able to get there. And so some Mm -hmm. exercise, like if you want to go to CrossFit and do Olympic lifting, that's going to take a whole lot more steps than if you want to walk around your neighborhood. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's definitely different degrees. But as long as you're willing to put the work in to understand pressure management and take the steps to build strength to get there, I mean, something like jumping on a trampoline is really hard. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a lot of time for adaptation because you're just going to feel all that give within that ligament system and that fascial system. And that's going to take time to adapt, but you've got to stimulate it Mm -hmm. to adapt. Right. And so if we're never doing any type of explosive bouncy movement, then when you get on that trampoline six months later, you're still going to feel a lot of that give. Like maybe some of it has improved some, mm-hmm. but if you had had it been on a purposeful plan, and this is where I feel like exercise specialists are awesome because you can help people come up with a progressive overload exercise plan to reach your goals. And this is so helpful when dealing with prolapse. That's awesome. And then when in just in general, because I feel like the answer I'm going to get from you is yes and no, and it depends. But if we, (laughs) no, no. And I think that's really encouraging for people too. I think that having these hard timelines and hard rules for anything, it's like, if I don't fall within that, something's wrong with me. So I feel like hearing the yes and no, and maybe I think that, you know, it can be really encouraging. Um, But in respects to fascial remodeling postpartum, what's like a general timeline and I know this kind of like depends on, you know, genetics and whether you're breastfeeding or not, but when could somebody expect to have that fascial remodeling kind of reach its peak? Maybe if they don't do anything at all, or I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So um, think about it this way. Our body is always adapting, changing. Our cells are always changing over. We are, we are always, our bodies are never stagnant. Everybody's always remodeling. Muscle remodels fairly quickly, gets really good blood supply. Um, so from my understanding from experts in the fascial field, not myself, um, remodeling fascia takes like 10 months to a year. But we have to look at it as a rolling remodeling, not an endpoint. So if remodeling mm-hmm. fascia, getting some change to the fascial structure takes 10 months to a year, but that's some change. And then you're going to have more change in another six months and another more change in another. So I kind of look at it as rolling changes, but you just got to be real patient for it. 
So there's no end point, but things do get harder in menopause, perimenopause, because you're, you're losing hormones that are helping you. Right. Um, so that can be another shift. Yeah. That can be a whole other challenging time period, but we don't need to talk about that on this podcast. The next, the next show, yeah. the next show. <laughs> yeah. um, um, and then I would love to know your thoughts on I both pessaries and those type of support options. And then also your thoughts on surgery. Um, but first touching on pessaries as a long-term option. And then I don't know if you've seen um, the urista, urista, which is an option where you don't even, I don't even think you need to go to a PT. It's just something that you pop in. And I, I see PTs kind of saying, like, if you're leaking, just pop this in and then just go back to whatever you're doing. Um, but I feel like you're kind of missing the reason why that, that leaking is happening. And it, it, I think it's kind of like a Band-Aid. Like, I don't know, you wouldn't just put a Band-Aid on a leaky faucet, right? You would put a Band-Aid on, fix the faucet, take the Band-Aid off. So what are your thoughts on something like the Eurista or something that you could just pop in to continue doing what you want to do? Um, and then also pessaries. Okay, so I think it depends on depends on the person here for this. Um, if somebody has like a grade run urethroceal, so like a front prolapse that's the small, but it's it's contributing to their leaking, then popping something in might be life changing for them. And depending on what's going on with their fascia, they may never remodel that, and that might always be an issue. We can't always fix leaking. So I know, let me not go on record saying that, but, you know, there, <laughs> there are things that, and that's where, you know, sometimes surgery is a good option. Um, but I feel like <laughs> a lot of people don't work hard enough or long enough, but I don't want to say that because then there's, there's a frustration aspect. I just, surgery, it comes with a lot of risk. Um, Hey sister, I want to take a minute to talk about the skincare line that I have been using since 2021 that I am totally in love with. I literally never had a skincare routine or regimen at all. I mean, not even a moisturizer until this brand. I'm talking about Dime Beauty. These products are made from clean ingredients. They're vegan, cruelty-free, contain no harsh chemicals. Dime products are also ranked between a one and a three on the EWG toxicity scale. Super important. As I'm sure you're already aware of or have heard, fragrances can be harmful to the skin, clog your pores, as well as mess with your hormones, which I'm really passionate about talking about. So of course, Dime Beauty products are fragrance-free. My favorites are the mascara, Hyperglow Vitamin C Serum, and the TBT Serum. It's honestly the best clean mascara I have ever used. Dime Beauty is a budget-friendly, vegan, and cruelty-free option for fantastic skincare. Their packaging is glass, making them eco-friendly, and they offer returns up to 60 days, as well as free shipping on US orders over $49. You can use my code TRUELOVE at checkout to save 20% off of everything, even bundles. That's code TRUELOVE at checkout. Now, let's get back to the show. <laughs> um, so when we think about pessaries, I like to think about why someone might wear one. Okay. So if somebody has prolapse and they feel like they need a little bit more support because the end of the day gets hard, mm -hmm. go taking the kids to the zoo. It's just hard. They've got to pick up a toddler. You know, you've got factors that are outside your strength and conditioning level for your pelvic floor. And this is why being strong, the stronger we are, the better yeah. off our pelvic floor is going to be because we start bearing down. We start having more poor pressure management mm -hmm. when we get tired. And so I feel like there's, if you want to go to CrossFit, but you're not quite there yet, 
then maybe a pessary is a good idea because we have a mental health aspect as well. And so I feel like that, that is also really important. Um, When I'm doing more low level exercises, I will often opt for no pessaries um, because I want people connecting and feeling what's happening at their pelvic floor. And sometimes something there can disrupt that. Um, But sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes pessaries cause increased tension, which can Mm -hmm. then affect muscle strengthening. So we're going to want to check in on that as well. If somebody has levator ani tearing, I might want them to use a pessary for preventative if they're going to go do something hard because we know their chances of ending up with prolapse are going to be higher because of the lack of the muscle. I mean, you have a lot of muscles down there and you can have some compensation happen, but the bottom line is, is they're still at greater risk for prolapse. And so if they want to go and do something that mm-hmm. maybe they want to go water ski for the first time or, or do something where they're not going to be able to be mindful of their pelvic floor, they're just going to be trying to survive, you know, right. then that would be a great time where I would say, hey, a pessary or, or something like a pessary um, can really be helpful. Was that? Yeah, so no, it, I think that's helpful. And I also just, I, I'd like you to kind of circle back on the pessary potentially creating tension in the pelvic floor. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So for some people, it makes them relax. Because they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I have something here. I can relax. They can take and their mind people, off Yeah. For other people, it makes them grip. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can think about pants as being the same way. So when people wear tight pants that have a like a kind of a cinchy waistband, sometimes that will create draw, like they'll pull away from it or they'll push uh-huh. into it because it creates a signal to their body. Mm-hmm. It's a touching signal that signals something needs to happen here. And so sometimes that can happen with a pessary as well. And do you feel the same way about uh, menstrual cuffs? Yes, definitely. Okay. And do you feel the same way about tampons? Um, yes. The tampons are smaller. Yeah. And they're not quite as invasive and they don't push on the walls. So they're going to mm-hmm. have less risk of tension. But mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen tampons create tension Yeah, in women. So I, I think it just all depends on you. And then... Um, for something like the, I think there's something else that's like a, you can just go to the store and buy it. I think it's called Impreza. Yeah, Impreza. It's like a tampon, Man, but like that thing not has a, like sharp, stabby corners. <laughs> no, no sharp, stabby corners. That's uncomfortable. In the vagina, please ever. Um, yeah, I mean, go go get a regular, go get a real pessary at that point. <laughs> okay, so what, so just, I mean. Or you I just try a menstrual like, cup. So that Try a menstrual helpful. cup as a pessary. Um, yeah, as some support, okay. um, because it's, you know, you've got, it's got something in there. It's pushing on walls. It's, mm-hmm. And so I think that, I think it can give you kind a little idea of how did feel. you do with it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of an extreme pushing out because it's meant to seal. Um, oh, but I also, I, I love doing a tampon test with people. Mm-hmm. So let's hear can, it. <laughs> so if your tampon, if you put in a tampon and it's not completely dry, so we're talking like, you know, it's been in for an hour or two. And then you go work out and your tampon is half out or coming out. That is I a already know where you're going. Yeah. Signal that you are this. bearing down during your exercise. And so if your prolapse is worse after exercise, mm-hmm. a great thing you can do is wear a tampon and the next time that you are menstruating and or put some type of lubrication on it. Um, and then exercise. And if you are not bearing down, it will be in the same place or maybe even a little higher up. 
But if you are bearing down, that thing is going to want to come out because you are pushing it out. But think about poop, like you are pushing it out. And so I think that can be a really good test if people don't know. So sometimes after exercise, your pelvic floor is going to have tension, which will then make your prolapse appear worse. Or sometimes you actually were bearing down and you just push the prolapse out, which Mm -hmm. So being able to know that difference, to know why, because sometimes after intercourse, your prolapse might be worse, but that could just be because you were tensing up during intercourse and now you've got tension, which is completely fine. So I think that there needs to be some tests in place or some things that you can kind of look at because not everybody's like, oh, yes, I could catch myself bearing down on this. So it can be kind of an aha shocking moment for people. And will your partner feel your prolapse? No. And it's okay to have sex with the prolapse. Um, yes, sex is great. Think about it as sex is repositioning for your prolapse. Um, okay. And then if intercourse is painful, mm-hmm. you most likely have pelvic floor tension. You, you, it's because prolapse is usually not painful at the low level of grades. And so I would point more toward, oh, this intercourse is very painful. I would say that is a pelvic health referral out. Because that person probably needs release work. They probably have pelvic floor tension and has nothing to do with their prolapse. Okay. And then that pelvic floor release work, if somebody's going in for PT, that looks like a manual release, like with mm-hmm. usually. With- yeah. Okay. And then a pelvic health specialist can teach somebody how to use a wand, mm-hmm. how much pressure to apply, what areas specifically their pelvic floor needs, and things like that. That can be really helpful. Because you can be tight on one side versus the other, right? Mm-hmm. You can be tight on one side versus the other. You can be tight at different levels. So mm-hmm. that's really helpful. Really helpful to see somebody in person for that. And then I would love to get your thoughts on prolapse surgery, specifically for prolapse, but also if somebody is experiencing leaking. Um, this, I'm sure, like if I've I've heard it a lot where women go to their OBs and that's what they're they're getting advice on and that's what they're getting referred to is like not not PT but it's like here go see this option for getting a surgery to fix this um you mentioned that surgery can be risky so can you expand on that and maybe like when um maybe we would want to consider a surgery yeah so i just any surgery you have is a risk mm-hmm. and sometimes the risk is worth it Um, But I would hope that before going into something like surgery, especially in an area like that, that is so sensitive and such a part of just our sexuality and has so much more purpose than, say, an elbow surgery, Mm -hmm. that and just the the tissue there can be thin. Like there there can be lots of factors on why pelvic floor surgery can be challenging um, Mm -hmm. compared to other areas. but. I think that taking that conservative approach first does not cause any harm. You know, spending three, six months investigating maybe a couple different people or a couple different programs. Don't just stick with one person. You know, I mean, I think we've all had experience with a bad contractor at some point in our lives. Like <laughs> yeah. within every profession, and it's not even necessarily bad and good as much as it is a fit for your body. Right. And you're going to need to see somebody who has experience with what is going on with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind because you might see somebody who's good, but they might be good at something else. Mm-hmm. And so right. ask around, shop around, see more than one person, get more than one opinion, get more than one source of advice. Um, it's your body and it's the only body you have. 
And so I feel like it's very, very important to learn more because the thing is, is the more you learn going into surgery, the more you're going to understand pressure management. Prolapse surgeries fail. So, and it depends on what type of surgery for failure rate. Some can be quite high, some can be quite low. And that, that research also changes as they improve surgery rates mm-hmm. are improving. But I feel like if you're looking at something with a failure rate and having to go through all that, I want to do what I can to prepare for it. And every other surgery, for the most part, like nobody's going to have ACL surgery without a rehab professional involved with them. Right. You know, I mean, that would be crazy because that mm-hmm. orthopedic doctor knows that their success rate is half dependent on the rehab the person's getting. They're mm-hmm. going to go to PT before the surgery. They're going to go to PT after. And that is going to change the success rate of the surgery. And why gynecological surgeries are not on the it same not page like about yeah, that. Yeah, that I do not, not like that at all. It's just wild. And that's a great point. Um, you know, and the comparison is made all the time for the ACL. Like women are having C-sections and fourth degree tears and grade four prolapses and they go in for these different procedures and there's just no aftercare and and doctors or OBs are kind of like sweeping these these worries and concerns under the rug like I hear all the time from women saying they cannot get a referral to mm-hmm. a pelvic floor PT it's just mind-blowing to me and it's not like your OB can can do what a PT does or write a program for you or any of the sort so it's like you know, everything looks like a nail when all you have is a hammer. And usually that looks like what? And if, yeah. And especially when the surgery causes scar tissue and scar mm-hmm. tissue can be a contributing factor to prolapse. It's like, right. We're literally introducing something. I mean, previous pelvic surgeries is a risk factor for prolapse, like one of the known risk factors. So it, it to me, it's mind blowing that it's not part, it's baffling. It, it mm-hmm. should just be part of the program. Right. And also I wanted to ask, uh, in your opinion, are you protected from prolapse if you have a C-section? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. Uh, I, yeah, go ahead. I mean, so so what research tells us is that, yes, prolapse is more prevalent with vaginal deliveries, specifically instrument-assisted deliveries. So, it, you know, for me personally, if I was looking at my doctor and they were like, you know, there's a really high chance that this is not going to go well. And we're looking at an instrument delivery. I might opt for a C-section then um, because I know the steps. Um, mm-hmm. But no, having a C-section does not protect you from prolapse because a lot of prolapse happens during pregnancy because mm-hmm. we're getting all of that stretching, all of that ligament right. laxity. Um, so just opting to not have a vaginal delivery, I mean, but the rates are, you know, but the rates are higher for diastasis recti with having a C-section. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's... Right. It's always something. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, and then, if somebody already has had a, a prolapse and they're pregnant currently, what can they do to help reduce their risk of having another prolapse or an excessive prolapse or things to just kind of manage that? What would be yeah, your kind of tips for them? Understand pressure management. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe back off of exercise that it creates a lot of pressure just be very mindful of it as they progress with their pregnancy because toward the end of pregnancy, you've got a lot of pressure there just because of your belly. And so yeah. you want to just be really mindful toward the end of pressure and maybe not, maybe back off just a little bit more than you would normally if you're in that risk category for prolapse. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, if you're going to have a vaginal delivery again, after 
um, get, go ahead and make sure you go into a public health specialist and get release work. Make sure you don't have pelvic floor tension. And I think that can be a huge factor. And then when we think about it, as soon as that baby engages, the baby is helping to hold the prolapse in place through the vaginal canal. So that is something to give you a little bit of peace of mind. I've done many women that have gone on to have another vaginal delivery after having prolapse and the prolapse was not worse after their next vaginal delivery. Um, so, I, but I think it's to each his own because some women are traumatized and you know, for a C-section. So I don't feel like we should push one way or another because, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, if you're anxious and worried about something, you're obviously going to be holding a lot more tension and we know that right. tension decreases stretching. So it's, you know, I think that, I think that's a hard, tough question that you've asked me and I don't know if I have a good answer to it. Well, I feel like it just, um, you know, like kind of like how we talk about if, if there's a symptom going on somewhere in your body, more likely than not, it's being contributed to by somewhere else in your body. I feel like this is a good kind of like okay, so we are working out through our pregnancy and we're scheduling our PT. It's probably also a really good idea to have some some sort of um, birth prep course or like breathing, um, you know, skills to have and, and pushing at the right time and all these different things to kind of help support that birth versus like pushing just when the doctor's telling you when you don't feel it and like all these things. So it's kind of like having all of your team like throughout all of the kind of phases of pregnancy delivery postpartum. Yeah. And then I that. feel like it's a very individual decision mm -hmm. and I don't like the shaming that happens um, with the, you must have a vaginal delivery. And <laughs> I think that, you know, there's, there's definitely cases where a C-section is a good decision. Um, mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I think that we need to be a little bit more accepting and a little bit more individualized with our advice. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I, I had no idea the stigma around C-sections until I had shared on social media that I was planning my second C-section. And mm -hmm. honestly, I did that because for a multitude of reasons, but also like my mental and emotional, emotional space that I was in after my emergency C-section, it was like, I did not want to be put in that position again because now I have a toddler at home. So it's like, it is so individual. And I think we all just need to bring our babies into the world the, the safest way we can for ourselves and, and our babies and with the guidance of our, our birth team and all the things. So I, I'm totally on the same page with you on that. As a coach yourself, you experienced prolapse and you shared this uh, publicly. Can you explain just your thoughts and how it was to navigate that experience as a coach, somebody that trains and educates on this topic and then experiencing, experiencing it yourself? Yeah. So it was, I had a pity party for a couple of weeks mm -hmm. of like, <laughs> why me? I can't believe this is happening. It was for my second delivery. I had some levator and I tearing mm -hmm. and I was, you know, just, I went through all the emotions of grieving, like yeah. feel devastated, had the thoughts of like worst case scenario. And I think I was like two weeks in or three weeks in and my husband finally looked at me. He's like, you've got to stop. He's like, if anybody can fix this, it's you just get to work. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, okay, <laughs> that was what I needed. <laughs> Have a big cry about it and but then I, get to work. <laughs> I do feel like there's, there's a grieving period that should be accepted and normal because you just, you're bringing life into the world. It's not like you're being selfish, you know? Right. And so then when things happen to your body, you're just like, it's not fair. 
it's not like I was out playing pickleball and sprained my ankle and now I have to deal with the injury from my activity. You know, you're doing something to bring another person into the world. And so I just feel like it's kind of especially feels devastating when things happen. Yeah, it's like, aren't you happy your baby is happy and healthy? And you're like, yeah, but my prolapse, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like so layered, um, so many feelings in the same moment, you know? But I mean, now looking back, I'm really thankful that I went through it because I understood it before, but more on a clinical level. And then Mm -hmm. after going through it, I felt like I understood the nuances in a way that I wouldn't have been able to understand otherwise, you know, but I do think it's one of those things where just because somebody has had prolapse doesn't mean they're going to have the answers for you because what worked for me might not work for somebody else. And I think that's where more of the rehab mindset comes in and that's some of the things that I see can go wrong with, with, you know, some following some like, Oh, here's this plan. It worked for me. And it's like, well, but your body is completely different. So, Mm -hmm. um, working on that individual plan can be really helpful. What is your number one piece of advice you'd give to your past self as a first time mom? Oh, I don't do well with these kind of rapid questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. So I don't do a ton of looking back and wishful thinking. It's just not who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've literally never thought about that. And, but the advice I would maybe give a friend is just hang in there. It gets easier. Yeah. Like my kids are old now and it's just, it's so easy for where I'm at right now with my kids. And I just wished when my children were young that somebody had told me that. Cause I asked multiple moms to the park and they were like, Oh no, it doesn't get easier. It just gets different. And if I could go back and smack them, I would, because it gets a lot easier. And I'm still really upset to this day that they told me that when I was in a bad place. And I was like, don't ever tell people that. Just tell them it gets easier. Like, that's what they need to hear. Oh, my gosh. All the moms that are like, you just wait. You just wait until they reach this age. I'm like, just stop talking. You know what? My kids are 10 and 7 right now, and it is golden. Golden. It is such a golden age. I mean, it is incredible. Our lives are so easy. (laughs) I love it. I love that. I don't think I haven't gotten that once on this podcast. Everybody gets really philosophical and like all of the perspective advice they would give themselves. But like, I love that. Just really optimistic. (laughs) Just hang in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So currently in your season of motherhood, so no more looking back. Okay. So currently in your season of motherhood, what is your go-to mantra to get you through any hard times. You already told us through how many hard times with your kids. So maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's, there's always hard times with life, (laughs) but I focus on connecting. Um, because right now we're just, we're dealing with trying to become people Mm -hmm. and wanting to connect with them and, you know, set examples, but share emotions. So they feel comfortable talking to me later in life. I don't know. I'm just guessing at that. We'll see how it goes. Maybe all those moms were right. And it does get harder, (laughs) but you know, so far it's going pretty good. So I don't know. I think my, my mantra right now in motherhood is just to, just to try to be there and try to connect with my kids. I love that. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for meeting me and, and joining me today. Where can everybody find you on social media? Absolutely. So I offer continuing education courses for fitness people that want to learn more about this because <laughs> I feel like we have to have a team approach when it comes to helping moms because I think this process can be very empowering 
if you can get the right advice. And so Mm -hmm. I appreciate you, Jesse, so much for helping to empower moms and helping them grow. Uh, My website is Core Exercise Solutions. And or if you just Google my name, Sarah Duvall, it'll it'll pull up. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Your wealth of knowledge. And thank you for sharing uh, your personal experience with prolapse and then giving us all types of information. And if you are currently experiencing prolapse and you are listening to this podcast or suspect a prolapse, go see a pelvic floor (laughs) physical therapist so they can give you a correct grade and type and all the things so you can start your healing journey. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Daily Mom Chip Podcast. If you did, be sure to subscribe. Also, before you go, I would love you forever if you could rate and review this podcast, share with a mom friend or on social media, and be sure to tag me at movewithtruelove and at dailymomchapod on Instagram. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you soon.